Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is an introduction to third-party logistics with Robert Cadena. Welcome, Robert. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. Appreciate that. This is going to be a great topic, guys. So many years ago, I wrote a white paper on all the services that were in third-party logistics. And rather than rewrite that white paper to update it, I decided I would do a series of podcasts. And this is the first in that series of podcasts. And I asked Robert to jump in and help because Robert and his company, as you'll see in a minute, work with basically everybody in third-party logistics. So they understand the business really well. Robert's really knowledgeable guy. So I appreciate you joining us today, Robert. Please introduce yourself and your company. Appreciate the introduction, Joe. My name is Robert Cadena. I'm the CEO of Lean Staffing Solutions. What we do is basically open up satellite offices for U.S.-based logistics companies out of Colombia. South America. So what we do is we just place back-end people to do everything for freight forwarders, brokers, carriers. So the whole scope of logistics companies, we help them set up their satellite office and help them through that whole process of building their own office overseas. Yeah, which makes it real helpful for me because since you know all these services, because you've probably lived through a lot of them. So Robert, where are you located? I am located in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's a good thing starting about right now. I'm up in the mighty Midwest where we have winter. Yes. (laughs) It's breathing down our neck. So before we get into this topic, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Tell us some little career highlights before you started Lean Staffing Solutions. Sure. So I grew up in Cartagena, Colombia, South America. I went to George Washington High School, believe it or not. So there's a ton of bilingual schools in Colombia. My dad was in the military, so we did live a little bit in Germany where I was born, but mostly, you know, in Colombia. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, when I wanted to come to college to the U.S., I came to FIU, get my bachelor's degree in economics. And that's when I started working at a small warehouse and my career in logistics began. So say that name again in Colombia. What was it? Cartagena. Oh, see, that's going to be a hard one. You can call it C-Town or something. Yeah, Cartagena. Uh, oh, okay. I, I recognize that. Yeah. Okay. I was, right. I was saying it wrong. Yeah, you so, just have the, the, the American accent and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So you started a warehouse. What was next? So I started at the warehouse just receiving packages and then driving a forklift, putting freight into the truck. Then I started managing the computer to get the orders inside then work for a small trucking company, then a medium size, then a big broker, then an asset, then eventually open up my own business. But that's basically how I got started. So when you talk about logistics, you're not talking just from the CEO's perspective. <laughs> you, you move stuff. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I was you know involved in the whole process from beginning to end. Like I said, even going into trucks and you know, with forklift and managing the whole distribution center like you know, from beginning to end. You've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. So when did you start Lean Staffing Solutions? So Lean Staffing was started around eight years ago, a little over eight years ago. So the way it worked is I worked at that warehouse and then kind of had my own brokerage company uh, a little over 20 years ago. So I learned how to build that up. And because I'm originally from Columbia, I said, you know what? I'm trying to get all this back office work done. And it's costing me, you know, a lot of, of trouble to hire here in the U.S. So 
I set up the office in Columbia, went there months at a time and sat with the employees and taught them about what's a truck, how many pallets per truck, how to track and trace, how to call shippers, constant needs. And from that point on, it went really well. I ended up selling that company. And when that company went to Columbia to do their due diligence, they're like, listen, we love this process. We want to keep it as is, but we just want somebody to handle that office for us. And that's how Lean Staffing got started. It was an opportunity, you know, if it helped me build my company, it sure as hell can help other company, logistics companies have their back office in Columbia. So fast forward to today, we have over 1,600 employees or 110 U.S.-based logistics company that have their extension of their office in Columbia. So how does David Bell fit into that? I know he's your one of your partners. So David Bell was that first company I was talking about. He had an asset-based transportation company. And I helped him build his back office out of Columbia. And he was the one that said, listen, I love this idea. If we started together, and that's how the lean staffing got started. Well, I know you guys are a behemoth now. We'll get into that at the end. Stick around if you want to learn more about lean. But before we do that, I want to talk about this introduction to third-party logistics. And again, nobody <laughs> nobody knows it better since you have probably done all the jobs that we're going to talk about. But we talk about third-party logistics services. And even Robert and I were talking about this offline when we were prepping. Everybody's got a different definition. So I, you know, if you go online and look at CSCMP, they say a firm which provides multiple logistic services used by customers, preferably these services integrated or bundled together by the provider. These facilitate the movement of parts and materials, obviously very dry. And the way I've looked at it, and I want to get Robert's two cents on this too, is you know if you go back 50 years to automotive supply chain, I'm in Michigan, so that's how I think, your suppliers would have been in the Midwest and your parts would have been in the Midwest. You'd have a trucking company to go pick them up. Flash forward to today, it's not that simple. My parts are in China or in Mexico. So now all of a sudden I have to have cross-border, I have to have air, I have to have ocean. Somebody has to integrate that. And then everything became much more sophisticated. And you can kind of use that same example across all the supply chains we service. So <laughs> it became something really a lot that required more. What's your two cents on it, Robert? Well, I agree completely. It used to be a lot simpler. Then obviously you're only contemplating what the problem of moving freight is, but then you had insurance and then liabilities. And you as a shipper could not use just a regular truck because you need to know if that truck had proper insurance, whether or not it's protected and you did your due diligence. So if something were to happen with that truck with your product on the truck, you wouldn't be liable for it. But right. 3PLs actually jumped on board as they and say, hey, listen, we can handle your LTL, your truck, your volume roads, your whole process. Make sure all these carriers that you contracted are under, you know, under the law. And then that process began to make it more difficult and more difficult. So I used to get a lot of questions where, as a shipper, why would I need a broker if I can just hire that truck directly? I said, listen, just for the liability itself, it's a good thing because brokers are trained into that. And they're trained to getting the best trucks for the services. Now that final mile is a big deal is one of the perfect examples happening today. Final mile is a big deal and it's just a short segment, but it's so huge that you have these companies specializing in that short haul that, you know, it just becomes a specialized process. Right. And, you know, I remember 10 years ago, people would, would say, well, what kind of 3PR are you, asset or asset light? And that, you go, well, we have three trucks and 16 brokers, I guess, whatever you want to call us. And then we got that asset light category. Right. But really, when you say asset or asset-based, asset-based or non-asset-based or asset light, which is some of both, it still leaves you wanting because that definition is just not good enough when you talk about all the services that are out there. Right. 
Exactly. And there's obviously the, the big assets, you know, the YRC, the old dominions, the people that have their trucks. And I think from my experience, the first light asset trucking company was Roadrunner that kind of had, I don't know what that meant, but definitely having the asset side, it's still a process that needs a lot to get done in the intermediary section because not one company can help you do through your whole process. If you have a distribution center, you're going to need a ton of carriers that have certain segments. So I think that's where the broker and what you were right. talking about. Yeah. yeah. So years ago, I was reading Inbound Logistics and they listed the top 103 PLs. And when you look at that list of the top 103 PLs, and this is where it gets confusing, you'll see a name that you go, aren't they a carrier? And aren't they like a warehousing? And so you start to go, oh, that those guys are just a broker. Yes. So I think the way it really kind of boils down is third-party logistics companies provides one or more of these big buckets of service. Transportation, we'll get into the details in a minute. Transportation, logistics, warehousing, special services like special services. We'll get into that. There's a whole bunch of them. And then, of course, technology, which Robert knows quite a bit about. So again, transportation's a bucket, logistics a bucket, warehousing special service technology, five big buckets of 3PL services. I want to hear from you, Robert. I know you have some ideas on this. Well, yeah, no, I completely agree. Into those five buckets, you know, transportation, just the segment itself, it's easy to explain. Logistics, I think it encompasses a lot more. Warehousing, obviously, the special service and technology. I think that is what describes a 3PL better. If they have a combination of at least three of these segments, that's what I think creates a third party company. Right. Right. And I think if you were to look at those lists, they would say you would recognize a lot of the names. And I don't, again, I think that the challenge becomes is trying to label, you know, is that a broker? Is that a 3PL or is that a carrier? Well, if they have three trucks and some brokerage guys and guys who do other stuff, it's a 3PL. Just leave it alone. <laughs> so, and then, so Robert, the first big bucket, and I think it is the biggest bucket in this segment. I think when people think of third party logistics, they think of transportation and the biggest service within transportation is truckload. Yeah. And let me list this because, and we don't have to talk about each one, but I would like to get your two cents on some of them. So there's 11 services within this bucket, small package or small parcel, whatever you want to call it. That's FedEx, UPS, now Amazon, I guess, air cargo, less than truckload, truckload, intermodal, ocean freight, rail, bulk, which would be shipping usually on ships, dedicated contract carriage, fleet acquisition, equipment and drivers, and final mile. So there's, a, there's a, so let's get your two cents on a few of these, Robert. What comes to mind when you think of the transportation segment? You know, we have basically on in my company, we have, like I said, 110 U.S.-based logistics companies. I think we do just about every single one of them. Like I said, we do their back office support, so we understand what they do in the back end. The LTL is a huge segment. It's funny because that was my specialty when I had my brokerage. So it's just basically negotiating rates with these LTL carriers and try to, to extend those discounts over to the shippers I used to manage. And it's a huge business, but the majority of our customers are focused into truckload. It's the biggest segment where obviously that's where the market goes. And the market usually discusses truckload rates and truckload per mile and what's going on. But LTL is something that's not there. And it's just a huge amount of freight that maybe, you know, brokers are not really looking into that. But like I said, most of these are done by our customers in-house. And obviously technology has played a big component into. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm an LTL guy first myself. (laughs) And um, 
you know, if you look at those markets, they're very different. So you look at truckload, it's the biggest market by far. But I think if you look at the largest carriers, they have like one or 2% of the market. I think that's it. I mean, huge companies have one or 2% of the truckload market. Correct. But then you go over to less than truckload, the top 10 carriers move like 80% of the volume every year. Yeah. And I think the top 25 move like 90 some percent of that volume. So it's a little trickier because you kind of have to work with the big boys. Not everybody has the, to do LTL. It's usually regional or super regional, which are two or three regions. It's a little trickier. <laughs> very needed, though. And by the way, on the truckload side, something very interesting is, you know, and I saw this change from you as a broker would target a lot of customers offering their, your services. That has changed in the last couple of years to actually try to get carriers on board. So now capacity is a big deal. So you have carrier sales becoming an even bigger part of what your company does. So that's yes. a, a position that has grown substantially in our company is the carrier sales portion where you're trying to you know get carriers on your database so you can offer it to your customers. So it's it's a huge difference that happened you know in this in a matter of years. Yeah, yeah, it's funny when I was I was at a third party logistics company and you know we would work with carriers obviously truckload and mostly LTL but later I was working with a truckload carrier they had and they did some LTL too they had like 500 trucks up here in Michigan and I remember like somebody called me one time and said hey we got a whole bunch of lanes blah 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 send us your carrier package and let's talk and I was like oh my god this is like shooting fish in a barrel <laughs> and yeah because we have 500 trucks and everybody wants trucks he's you know I used to pick up the phone and somebody said do you own assets you say no click <laughs> and so what I found out, though, is you can spend all day, every day, talking to brokers and giving your carrier information and never getting a lane. Yeah. And so the, the company, the vice president said, Joe, he goes, it's not that easy. He goes, you basically, we don't give carrier packages or fill any paperwork out until they say, we need you to move these lanes. <laughs> so I know why you need carrier sales. You have to convince them now. Yes. To get involved. <laughs> you, gotta, you know, the whole relationship, when it's inbound Florida, it's bad. And when it's got, you always have to have freight for them when they're going through problems because that's how you develop those relationships and they'll get you out of bounds when you're trying to, to fulfill your customers. So it's definitely a different relationship than it, than it was a couple of years ago with the carriers. Right. And when you're a broker or a 3PL, you have two customers. You have Your job is to go find really good shippers because if you want to have really good carriers, you better have really good shippers that go with them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about two other services within the transportation bucket. So Final Mile all of a sudden just blew up in the recent years. I mean, obviously, we all buy stuff online now. And I've always thought that's a real challenge because you're delivering to a house where there could be a barking dog and the address is broken and there's a beehive on the porch. I mean, there's all sorts. You're not delivering to a dock with a professional receiver. Right. So it's funny. Uh, we have at least five of our customers that do home delivery. So you can imagine how difficult that is. So it's just, like, oh. yeah, calling home. Hey, are you going to be home? What time are you going to be home? And obviously there's going to be some some kind of problem with the delivery, you know. But they've managed to do that. It's just as long as you have a big customer service team backing that end, it's extremely profitable having, you know, that final mile where Amazon and all these big guys are just selling. That final mile has become huge. That includes obviously the warehouse. So you had a lot of people that have the warehouses now where, they keep their distribution center. And I don't know if it's happened to you, but sometimes you order something and the very next day it's at your house and you go, how, 
how is this possible? So they have distribution <laughs> right. centers and all these small warehouses everywhere. And now yep. everybody's a final mile delivery. So Yeah, and you know what's interesting is I think anybody who sells logistics will tell you that or transportation three PL services will tell you this is you sit in a meeting anywhere, anywhere in America, probably outside of America too, you sit in a meeting. And the, somebody at the logistics company or the, the shipper says something along the lines of, I ordered toothpaste from Amazon. It was on my porch the next day. Why can't I have blank? <laughs> and Amazon has raised the bar because if somebody's at home using Amazon and they go, that's what I want. This is exactly what I want. I want my 3PL to do this. And by the way, Joe, this goes deeper than that. And you ask anybody, and you say, hey, listen, how much is the toothpaste? And they go, three bucks. Would you pay four bucks if it's here tomorrow? And people go, yeah, I'll pay it. And it just changed the whole thing of being very economical. People think, you know, just because it's Amazon, it's cheap. It's not. But you just want it there the very next day. And that's how we became as a society. We want everything now. And Oh, well, that's why we eat out too, right? We go, I'd rather spend the money to eat a restaurant than make my own food because it's easier. I have more money than time sometimes. Absolutely. So one other topic I want to talk about before we jump out of transportation, let's talk a little bit about small parcel. Give us your two cents on that one, Robert. So we don't, I don't have a lot of customers that do small parcel. Small parcel is very segmented into two, like you said before on the call. It's basically FedEx and UPS and their competition internally. I remember a couple of years ago, DHL tried to come in and try to compete and that didn't work at all. No, it didn't. <laughs> so they have, they have basically the whole market taken capacity of you sending an insane amount of packages and the discounts you might have as your company gets bigger. But it's definitely, it's definitely a big portion of it. I just don't handle a lot of customers that handle that small parcel. Right. I keep thinking there's, you know, I know Amazon's looming out there. Maybe they'll come up with a service. But I keep thinking there's all these regional services that are still out there. And we have Pure Later in Canada, and I think they do. Yes. They're number one there. And uh, DHL, as you mentioned, they still think they ship to the U.S. and out of the U.S., but not inside of the U.S. Yeah, they're, they're, and they're, I mean, Latin America, there's nothing bigger than DHL. I don't think FedEx or UPS have any competition in Europe and Latin America with DHL. They just they, they, you know, fail miserably here in the U.S. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if there's not some competition because it seems like a pretty good business these days. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so the first bucket we talked about is transportation. The second bucket I want to talk to you about is warehousing. That's where you started your career. So I'll just talk about the service and then we'll pick one or two to talk about. So there's pick and pack and there's sub-assembly, you know, value-added service, I get to call that. Cross-docking is another service. Distribution center management, site location, helping you find the right site for your warehouse. Transloading, (laughs) vendor-managed inventory, which is a biggie, and then fulfillment. And fulfillment is what I think the one that's blowing up right now with the e-commerce. So talk a little bit about the warehousing space. Yeah, so warehousing has become, you know, like I said before, it's uh, with Amazon and everybody's selling online, the e-commerce. You take any warehouse, small warehouse, and I think, for example, just to give you an example, here in Florida, they're actually the malls that people are not going into. They're taking segments of the mall and converting them into distribution centers for the shops that are inside the mall and very close and nearby. So anybody that has a warehouse has become that part where I can actually just build up a pick and pack or a distribution, a small distribution center for Amazon. So there's always opportunities if you have that space for you to start that part. 
I think it'll continue to grow. That space is going to definitely continue to grow. And from that point, a lot of things come into, you know, like you said, vendor management inventory and have all your distribution center full with technology, even cross docking for those trucks that are doing the final mile trucks that come in for long hauls that need to just segment their space. So it's just a ton of opportunity on the warehousing space that nobody had before. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, I also think we're going to see some companies start to specialize a little more because if you think of like retail, traditional retailing companies, not all of them are going to go out of business. They're going to switch to online. Yes. But you know, I don't think this is an either or thing. I buy stuff from Amazon, but I still, if I'm going to buy a bed, I'm going to go over and try that mattress out somewhere. Yeah. I can see where we're going to get to the place where we're going to have a lot, some showrooms perhaps where you say, yeah, you can check it out here, but you can't take it home. Exactly. And that's the same with, I, when I bought my laptop from Best Buy, I, li- I like Best Buy because I like to go over and touch it and see how heavy it is. If somebody says it's, oh, it's three pounds. I don't know how much three pounds feels like in my hands until I go over there. So <laughs> exactly. when I say I want to buy this, they go, yeah, it'll be at your house tomorrow. We'd be there in the morning. And it's like, yeah, so they deliver. So I think we're going to have some hybrids and I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing companies say, we specialize in, you know, the retail e-commerce, the stuff that is direct to consumer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, one experience I do have a ton with is in Latin America, because we don't have, I mean, we, we do have Alibaba and there's Mercado Libre and some other companies that are very similar to Amazon, but people still love to have their Amazon. So what they do is they set up locker boxes here in the U.S. where they send the stuff and then they kind of consolidate the stuff and send it back to Colombia, whether it's half container or to Latin America. So it's it's a pretty cool concept. People just buy online from their, you know, whatever part of South America they are. It goes into a warehouse here in Florida, usually, because obviously it's going to be exported. They put it all together and then send it in a container, which is, you know, it's still another opportunity Jeez, as well. <laughs> I didn't know that was going on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> This fulfillment centers are popping up everywhere. And you mentioned the mall thing that came up in one of my last podcasts is that Amazon is going in where traditional malls popped up in the 70s and 80s. Amazon's taking some of those over. And it makes sense because it's close to population centers, it's close to highways. That's why they put the mall there. Absolutely. And obviously, there are big locations, which Amazon needs. And they want to be able to compete with that same day, next day that Walmart will be providing. Exactly, exactly. For competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we talked about two buckets. I'll go, the first bucket was transportation. We talked about that. The second bucket is warehousing. Let's talk about the third bucket. And I'll read these off. There's a lot of services that you probably go, I've never heard of these services. But the third bucket is called logistics. So the first one is service provided is lead logistics provider or fourth party logistics. Then there's integrated logistics, just in time logistics, global trade, very important. Inbound logistics, very important. I've done a lot of that in my career. Logistics process re-engineering, a lot of those guys now helping improve processes. Payment auditing and processing, very important. Then we have inventory management, vendor management, and shared services. So you can see when you hear those services, you can tell those are the, uh, what I'll call the more administrative services within the third-party logistics. So your two cents on that, Roberto? Well, we... Robert, I, I, I called you Roberto. I, Robert, that's your real name, but you go by Robert, I know. <laughs> it's fine. No worries, either or. So yeah, we do have a lot of these services. A lot of these fall under the freight forwarding services. So it's the import, export. We do a lot of that. Just, you know, the four-party logistics or 4PL that they call it is just basically adding that international portion as well. So import, export, 
We do a lot of, of the payment auditing and processing. So everything that has to do, and I know we have a special bucket for it with the technology, but all these services are adding a ton of technology to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's kind of goes without saying, but we'll say it anyway. All these services without technology, you're not competing. So if you say, I mean, I love to, we're really good at transportation. If you don't have tech, you're not that good at it anymore. Same with warehousing and logistics services, what you're talking about. We could say technology is a service within each of these buckets. Absolutely. Absolutely. And same with, like I said, the global trade, logistics process reengineering. I think it's something we do and it's basically included in our services, but we have customers that are, like you said, top three PLs, big companies, and probably some of their back office functions were just never done. They just, you know, set up people to do some of the stuff. So we go back and kind of re-engineer it from the backup to make sure everything has happened the way it should happen on the back end. So I'll tell you a little bit, for example, you come from that LTL world. So I like to tell my customers, listen, you do have to have the follow-up and the track and trace of your products when they go through LTL because there's so many changes with the weight change and class change and the amount of those overcharges are just insane. So Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the way to the accounting department and it becomes a whole mess on the accounting side. So if you were to track that process all the way from beginning to end and even get the POD, it just saves so much time. It's re-engineering that part. We've done it a couple of times and it's worked out perfectly to tell you the truth. Right. You know, I'm a real simple guy when it comes to KPIs. And I always say, the, obviously, you want to know on-time performance for all your carriers and LTL or truckload. You want to know are they damaging things? You know, there shouldn't be much damage. But with LTL, what I really like to see right away is billing accuracy. And I say it's real simple. What did you quote me versus what did you invoice me? If that number's different, tell me why. Yeah. Right. And and it's one thing to have it happen this week. I just don't want to see it happen again next week. Correct. Correct. It's, you know, the truckload is easy. You you tell it the, the you know, the total weight, this is what it is, the pallets are in. But on the LTL side, there's so many things that are in motion. If the pallet is a little bit bigger, it takes two spaces, you can't, you know. So I do understand why some of these LTL companies have actually bought products that actually when you put the pallet it gives you the measurements of the palette. The, the, so it gives you a class right away without you having to go back and reclassify and stuff. So I think technology has gone above for the LTL as well. Right. It used to be, I remember when I was selling less than truckload services that people would say, I don't know what class. We just always say 65 and that never comes back as anything other. And then you look at their bills and you're like, they reclassed half your bills <laughs> and you paid a lot more because you did that. Yeah. And then I remember being, this goes back, one of the larger LTL carriers around here in the Midwest. I went and toured and they showed me a guy and he had this measurement gun. It was all like a laser measurement. And he said, we figure the ROI on every one of those guys with a laser in their hand is a million dollars a year in extra billing. <laughs> oh my God. And it wasn't, you know, they weren't being dishonest by doing it. It was just this, the class system is broken. That always is anything that puts that much error into a system is broken in my mind. So they should fix that. But while we have it, it's their trucks, it's their rules. While we have it, you better class your stuff right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not always easy. No, so, so logistics could go from class 100, you know, 300 <laughs> bucks to class 300 at 5,000. You go, how is this even possible? It's the same yeah. palette, same dimensions. It's just something, you know, either commodity or whatever it is. And, but like you said, it's completely broken. 
Yeah. And again, it's evolved over time. And the idea that, you know, there could, I always say any system where I don't know exactly what I'm going to pay is a problem. So we're getting better and the technology has really helped. Speaking of the technology, let's talk about the technology bucket. It is probably and what it is, even though warehousing and fulfillment is growing like a weed, nothing's growing faster than the technology bucket. So talk about that one, Roberto. So every conversation I have with all my customers, they're all focused into technology. Anything from predictive analytics, so it tells you exactly what rates you're going to you're going to be billing your customers. Optimization of when you go out to bidding, you know, that's a big one right now is how do I get these bids from all these big shippers? I need to get back to them with a rate that I'm going to be able to fulfill for the next couple of months or a couple of years. So all that becomes that sustainability of an ecosystem of where, you know, you have these guys sitting at desk and it actually, the system will tell you what the rate was. You know, we used to have this a couple of years ago, but now the way the technology is, it's insane. It actually tells you exactly which truck is going to be closer. What's the rate per mile. You can actually book the load. It goes directly, it goes to the carrier. I mean, it's completely automated to a point where the broker is actually just making sure everything follows through the way it should, the way the system actually provides you that technology. For me, that, that's been the biggest, biggest advancement in technology, you know, along with the you used to have EDI. So the EDI was something that you had to connect. Now we have API. So all systems are connected and they can communicate with each other, which is great. Yeah, it's really, I say this a lot on my podcast, is we're getting to a place where there's haves and there have nots, and the haves usually have the best technology. Everybody has some technology, but the haves are the ones who say, yeah, the technology I have enables better pricing. We're able to take advantage of the data, all the AI stuff. We're able to have a machine do some learning for us, but also customer experience. Customers, we talked a little bit about Amazon. We're so used to the simplicity of using Amazon or Facebook or email. Now we have higher standards. No one's going to be happy using your clunky 10-year-old software. You you have to have that interface that they go, this is cool. This is an elegant solution to my problem. And if there's an extra screen, if there's an extra gap in this experience, boy, you'll hear from them. Oh, for sure. If you order food and you expect to see your driver come into your house, how can you not have a truck where you can see where it picked up and delivered? I mean, it's that kind of visibility that other companies have shown. Now transportation is saying, we need this and we have to have it. So there's a ton of technology companies out there building all these products for different logistics companies. And the logistic company on their own are building their own technology because they understand if you don't have technology, you're out of this business. Yeah. And I think beyond, you know, that customer experience, which there's an expectation. Again, I think there's an expectation that you're going to start using data better, you know, be able to be predictive. Yeah. But I think there's also, um, I think a growing expectation that you're going to help me automate processes, either at the 3PL or at the shipper or both. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you can actually go to our customer and say, hey, you know, your ERP or your CRM is going to be connected to my TMS. Our transportation management software is going to take your orders. It's going to find the trucks that we have inside our system and try to find out the best option. So after you present that to shippers, they go, how? Because everybody's investing just a ton of money. I know our big customers are investing just a ton of money with developing other features. They can show their shippers and say, listen, nobody's doing this but us. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's it's an arms race. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of services within that, and we're not going to get into each one. I think we probably just hit on some, but some of the bigger services to obviously transportation management systems, warehouse management systems, and those even the warehouse management systems are segmenting into the guys who are fulfillment guys and the guys who are traditional and you know, maybe servicing retailers or you know manufacturers. There's ERP systems like Oracle that a lot of shippers will have. Freight management, I should say freight payment and claim auditing, there's software for that. Optimization, predictive analytics. Predictive analytics is everywhere, I think, within all these systems. So it almost doesn't make sense to talk about these services individually because they're usually all connected by guys like Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We have, obviously, because of a number of, of customers we have, we have experience on over 30 TMSs. Mind you, there is a ton of my customers that have not only one, but two systems. Oh, um, yeah, of course. I, 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 when I was at a 3PL, we reluctantly had to get a second system for one customer. And it's a painful thing because I, I think about this, um, my own experience. You get good at the business that you're in, less the truckload or LTL, and then there's a growing expectation that you're also very good at technology. Well, a lot of us don't necessarily come from a tech background. We come from more of a supply chain background. So you find all of a sudden being dragged into the technical, and meanwhile, the technical guy's being dragged into logistics and transportation. Absolutely. You need to know a little bit of both now, nowadays. <laughs> Or a lot of both. Correct. No, it's the company that does that. And then you think about companies that are going through M&A. So they merge with this company or they acquire this company. Now there's two companies that have two different systems. Now they're trying to find a new one, which has happened a lot based on you know how the market is moving with a lot of companies. Not at this time, but the prior year, just you know a ton of acquisitions. So you get that problem as well. Yep. So we talked about four buckets so far. We talked about transportation, which is the biggest bucket of services. The second bucket is warehousing, fast growing, especially with fulfillment. We talked about the third bucket, which is technology. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm losing track here. Transportation, warehousing, logistics. And then we talked about technology. The last bucket is called special services. And this is kind of a catch-all, all the stuff that doesn't fit in those other buckets. And I'll just read some of them, then we'll talk a little at high level. So there's direct-to-store, direct-to-home, foreign trade zone, necessary, but you don't see a lot of them. Import, export, customs, obviously big for those of you doing freight forwarding. Reverse logistics, that's becoming increasingly important. Product lifestyle management, that's become pretty important too. We'll get into that one. Marketing and customer service, you have a lot of companies that are taking that on. And I think Lean's one of them, where you start taking some of those services and giving them to experts. So global expansion, supply chain security analysis. I'm going to have a podcast on that one coming up. Contingency and crisis planning, consulting, labor management and sustainability and green logistics, which is a big one that we're all going to have to do. So this was the catch-all bucket, special services. And again, these are all necessary probably for the other services to exist. So what's your two cents on this one, Robert? I'll give you a good one. Number nine, contingency and crisis planning. So obviously we went through COVID. A lot of companies did not have this planning on what to do if, right? For us, we had that plan in motion. We have six of our customers are publicly traded companies, so they do have that in place. So we, were, we managed to place 1,300 employees in three days to work from home, which is one of the... Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the biggest things, but at the end of the day, nothing happened. Everything remained the same. We still have about 70% of our workforce working from home. I think that's become a huge, huge issue right now with regards to, all right, 
what's our company doing? What happens if? What if? Nobody expected this to happen. So I think that's a big one. I think that's something that we're, we had our customers come in and say, hey, how did you do this? Can we set up something? If something were to happen, we still have your office up and running. And that's something we were looking into uh, deeply. And obviously included in that bucket is labor management, which is also a big deal. So how do you handle that? You know, there's a ton of labor laws and a lot of things, which obviously our company is, has grown because of this. It's just having the back end work done by an outside office, which takes all that work from HR recruiting, that kind of thing away from you. But yeah, and the process itself of import, export, where we started very minimal with, you know, tasks, track and trace and stuff. Now filing AES and shipper export documents and that kind of thing. It just became a huge thing. Right now, everything is global. So there's a lot of import-export going around. Obviously, through COVID, it kind of went down, but it's back up to the same number. So this is something that's going to continue to grow. Everything needs to keep moving. So Right. And you know, you mentioned some services that I want to hit on. Well, first off, you mentioned the outsourcing of back office stuff. And it's interesting because in the past, people would go, oh, yeah, well, you're just doing that to save money. It More and more, that is being done because there's experts somewhere else. Somebody specializes in something you don't specialize in. That's right. So, that's where you need to start looking at this. It's not, oh, I can save a nickel. Forget, I mean, that's always, there's always budgets, but you can do it better. And if you can do it with uh, less money and get use somebody who's an expert, that's where you want to go. Absolutely. And again, I always think that we have an outdated view of all that. So another thing that we well, want to touch on is reverse logistics. So all this e-commerce that we talk about, I think 5% of it, 6% of it gets returned, yeah. which is a huge cost and a huge hassle. Somebody has to manage all that. Absolutely. And it's become huge. We have a couple of companies that do that. Obviously, that final mile, like you said, even though you want to go to the store and try the mattress out, if the company tells you, hey, just try it out. If not, I'll give it, send it back. <laughs> Most of the people are going to do that. So there's a ton of that where just use it. If you don't like it, just send it back. So obviously, you can, right. you can see the amount of freight coming back. It's, it's insane. I just got a pair of shoes and like kind of just casual, like tennis shoes, whatever you call them. And they came in the wrong size. So I said, okay, send them back. Then I got another size, didn't fit. I was like, you know, I know I've kind of been wearing <laughs> shoes for a while. I know my size. So they didn't have a good sizing chart. And so I tried them on twice and returned them twice. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to head to the shoe store and buy some shoes that fit. And I was thinking, yeah, they got to get a little better at that because that's an enormous cost that I added to the, I ultimately didn't end up as a buyer, but they had all that shipping costs associated with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, like they sell yours, they sell millions more. So they just. Right, right. So. Yeah, you mentioned, so we talked a little bit, you mentioned the supply chain security analysis. And when it sounds really dry, but it's just as Robert mentioned, you know, we have these crisis that we're going through with COVID where everything changed overnight. And when you're a sales guy in any of the services that we're talking about, you are selling to ops guys. You're selling to operations guys. And I am an operations guy. That's where I spent a lot of my career. I will never not be an ops guy. And when you're talking to an ops guy, the whole time you're talking, he's thinking, Risk, 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 risk. So he's saying, is this going to cause, is there going to be cost risk? Is there going to be quality risk? Is there a time risk? What can possibly go wrong? That's what they think. So we need to start thinking along those lines. And I think it's a real nice sales pitch to say, 
we have a process for minimizing the risk on all these things. That's proper onboarding, having emergency plans like you guys had for your customers. That's what's required. When you're asking top supply chain companies, the big retailers, the big manufacturers to trust you, they trust you because you don't screw up. They trust you because you take the risk out of the process. Correct. 100% agree with that statement. Yep. And one last thing I'd like to talk about in this bucket is sustainability and green logistics. I'm going to do a podcast coming up on that, but this is becoming increasingly important. More and more people are making purchasing decisions based on, is this company sustainable? And they want to see sustainable supply chains. That's what we're talking about. So don't be surprised when a big shipper of yours says, tell us about what you do in sustainability. And you can't fake it and you can't make it up. You have to you have to be there already. So my recommendation is start now. One of your shippers is going to ask, tell me about what you do for sustainability. Tell me how green your company is. I agree. And then it's going to be more and more, you know, there's certain states that are more tailored towards that than others. But I agree that that it you have to, if you're not thinking about that, the supply chain, the security analysis and going green and some of the other stuff that, you know, maybe as an ops guy, you're not thinking your day to day is how to get here to the next day, but always think ahead because I think that's why we've kept above, you know, above and beyond what we've gone is keeping our mind what happens if, and let's see towards the future, you need to add technology, green company, the whole process, and just think of the what ifs. Okay, so we just covered all these topics. So we talked about transportation, we talked about warehousing, we talked about logistics, we talked about technology and special services. Put a bow on this topic for us, Robert, and then I want to hear a little bit about lean. <laughs> sure. So, you know, transportation and logistics is something that's never going to stop. During COVID and during the whole process, you could see that these guys, you know, and shout out is big to our drivers that are out there every day making, you know, these deliveries and making sure everything keeps moving. If that would have stopped during COVID, it would have been hell. So you still go to supermarkets and you have some empty shelves and stuff, but these guys actually kept everything moving. So everything that has to do with logistics, I'm a firm believer that it's necessary for our lives to continue. So where there's a hurricane, these guys are the ones that take the water, the portable bathroom. So just think of the logistics itself as something so, because people just get their stuff and they don't realize where it's coming from. But that comes from a shipper that has a driver, that has a broker that try to bring this here. And all this combined with all the technology is what makes this flow. And you can talk about carriers or asset base or light, but they're all part of an ecosystem that keeps this world moving. And it's not only in the U.S., it's all over the world. So it's, it's pretty unique. And I'm so glad to be a part of this industry where it covers so many things. I just love what I do. So I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And, you know, I've said during this COVID thing is the essential workers that keep the rest of the essential workers moving (laughs) are the logistics guys. You know, so although great, you know, again, having food on the shelves, this is when we talk about a crisis, people behind the scenes made this crisis so we could all sit around and eat and drink and gain weight during COVID. That is not the crisis that your great grandparents went through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely different. So before we close this out, I want to understand more about Lean. Tell us what's going on over there. I know there's a lot going on. Yeah, we've grown substantially. This is our second year in a row. We came in the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in America. We had a private investment come in of $42.5 million just for our growth. And we, like I said in, in the podcast, we are always thinking towards what's next. 
So we had lean staffing, which was basically setting up, you know, employees or assigned service providers to make sure some of the back end work was covered. And then we started, hey, why not do lean technology? So it's a tech company. We assign programmers to build some of your stuff or to augment your technology team in the U.S. Then lean marketing came about. We had customers say, we love your marketing. I want to just set up a marketing team in Colombia. Sure, let's do that. And then we got into sales as to, you know, setting up BDRs in Colombia to open up doors. So all that component is becoming, you know, what else is next? So we're looking into lean consulting as well, just to get provide, you know, our customers with a little support and expertise and knowledge on the back end process of the operation and some other processes with regards to technology. So it's a combination of factors. And the good thing about this model is, you know, we're partners with our customers that, that open their offices there. So we make sure their operation runs smoothly. And like I said, we're over 1,600 employees now and we keep growing every month. And it's because of that. Like you said, everything's changed so much. It's not about the cost. It's a good thing that we have the cost, but it's more about the quality of the employee. Those bilingual employees that want to make a career in logistics, that's where we specialize in. And these guys, you know, they keep working for your company. They get better and better at it. So it's just, I tell my customers, instead of opening up an office in Florida, you open up in Columbia, South America, two and a half hour flight from Fort Lauderdale. But you get to build as you get to travel there, sit with your team. It's, it's a unique concept. And that, you know, the, obviously our growth shows that it's, it's working. Correct. correct. <laughs> yeah. And touch on this. I know, I know this cause I learned it cause I've done a lot of business lately in, in South America, sure. but why is Columbia uniquely situated for this, for your uh, service? Sure. So we're Columbia central time. It's very close to the U S like I said, two and a half hour flight. It's a big country. We're now set up in four different cities in Columbia. Our biggest city is Bogota, which has close to 11 million people. Bilingual education is huge there. So like I said, I went to George Washington High School. So you get a ton of people that want to participate. We're very pro-American. Like I said, the travel, the distance, the time zone, the amount of time people study is also good. So you get all these factors involved and they just start working for an American company and they just love the fact that they can grow their career in logistics. Yep. And if I could add this, you know, most of the people who listen to this podcast are in the U.S. And, you know, we're all very comfortable because we have a huge market that we can work in. And traditionally, we've looked to Europe and said, oh, Europe is who, you know, we, we understand them. A lot of them speak English. But when you look at where the world is moving, you know, we have to get used to working with China. We have to get used to working closer with India. And we have to get a lot more used to working with Latin America because Latin America is an enormous market. If you look in 2050, Brazil and Mexico will be top five economies along with the U.S. and India and China. So you better start thinking about what you're doing in Latin America. And this is a good start. (laughs) You start working, say, look, we've got offices there. It's a good start to how are we going to start working with that huge market? Absolutely. And the fact that we have that back office has made our customers here grow which is quite contrary to what people think. Oh, well, I get these, you know, I get text for this. Yes, but you grow in the U.S. Right. And at the end of the day, it's just a, a global marketplace for employees. Like you said previously, you, you better be good at your job and do it everywhere because now it's a global competition, basically. Right, right. You know, it's uh, the, over the weekend, I was uh, watching a football game with my buddies. And, and I said, you know, remember in school when, and I'm in my 50s, they taught us French. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then if you if you did and didn't want to speak French, they taught us German. And I was like, we didn't think to speak Spanish. Man, I guess they taught Spanish. But now I was like, now I live in a country that it, it can take advantage of this huge market. And I don't speak Spanish, but my daughters do. <laughs> but it's so crazy that we have this enormous market in our backyard. And Canada, thank you for speaking English for those of us who don't speak other languages. But the um, the nice thing is if you're working with Lean, you don't have to speak Spanish. But for the, it would be nice if you, as we attack this uh, Latin, not attack, as we start to work with Latin America, if we knew a little bit about the language, because it helps to learn about the culture. For sure, for sure. And one of the, you know, our last piece is, uh, which we're growing like crazy is the technology portion. So we've gone to customers and say, hey, by the way, if you have this repetitive functions that done in your background, we can create our RPA, some bots to make sure we create that process for you, or we integrate the API or ADI with your customer. So we build not only the staffing, but the technology. And obviously that staffing comes with quality assurance, some of the other stuff. So it's, it's a pretty unique concept. So if you're not looking into it, definitely reach out because it's something, like I said, 110 other US-based logistics companies are doing, and you should as well. It doesn't matter how small or big you are, we can help you through that process. Yep, yep. And, you know, Robert, everybody now knows either you're developing it, the technology in-house or you get a tech partner. Correct. A lot of other companies realized a long time ago, HR is difficult. So they got a partner, you know, to help them with that. So you guys are both. Exactly. <laughs> you get to the staff. And a lot of us have used staffing companies over time where you say, I've got extra help. You guys bring all that to the party. And it's kind of nice to have a partner that can flex with you and, and help you grow. Because some people are growing pretty rapidly these days. Exactly. And I hate the word outsourcing. We don't use it. We just, you know, right. it's basically open up your satellite office. So it's your office, your employees, everything is yours without the liability. Right. Well, you're right to say that you don't like outsourcing because it kind of got almost like a bad word, like you're doing something wrong. But again, there's experts out there and they ex they have expertise and stuff that you don't want to specialize in. Correct. So use them. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming on and talking about this big business of ours. No, I appreciate the invitation. I, I had a lot of fun just going over some of the stuff. It's now that you start talking about it, you realize how big this industry is, how many segments it has. And it's just, it's fun to be in there. <laughs> yeah. And how quickly it's growing up. Correct. I mean, it really went from a fringy thing like, oh, you do logistics, you do transportation to all of a sudden it's. It's almost like it's a sexy business, like being in Silicon Valley all of a sudden. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Robert. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast here. Continued support. It's very much appreciated. Till next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.